my past practice of watching a lot of television as I was a teenager. And um, I'm not a sitcom person today at all because most 99.9% of sitcoms were birthed in the, in the, in the, uh, in the lower realms of the, uh, the, the other parts of the earth. All right? And this is one of those as well. But in those days, I wasn't the sanctified holy pastor that I am in front of you today. And when I was a teenager, I used to watch Cheers. All right? And everybody remembers Norm. And Norm, when he walked in the door, everybody said, what? Norm. And then they played the song. And the song says, I want to go where everybody knows your name. And they're always glad you came. Now, here's the reality about this church. My desire as your pastor is I, want to, I have a desire to both lead you, instruct you, and also teach you. And I want to instruct you in the Word of God. And at the core of what I do as a pastor is a teacher. Now, thankfully, and I'm grateful for my history as a Pentecostal preacher, and I haven't set aside preaching entirely to just be a teacher, as some have. And I'm not saying that negatively, but in our church, you get both preaching and teaching, and I think both are necessary. That's a good thing. And it's my desire to teach you because I want you to grow in grace and godliness. But I also desire to connect you to other believers, to connect you to other believers who have similar and unique experiences that will both strengthen and challenge you. And so I thank God for the congregation that's here today. I thank God we call it the assembly. And a lot of wonderful things can take place in here when assembled. But not everybody's going to know your name. And you're not going to know everybody else's name. Not in a, a, a group this large. And this is not, we're not a large church. The reality is on Sunday mornings there's an average of 200 to 215 adults Total number of about 270 people, counting children, uh, thanks to Joe's and Ann's expanded family, 270 children, in our, our 270 people in our church. And so we're so grateful for each one of you, but the reality is, as lo- even though there's a lot of great things that can take place under the context of quantity, exactly what JoJo was preaching, there are great things, and I don't want to take away from that, especially at the altar. Especially in a sovereign move of the power of the Holy Spirit when we would all perhaps come to the altar and worship God or come to the altar in prayer or at the end of a time of prayer and Jojo comes up and he leads the exhortation and there's a sovereign move and 15 or 20 or 30 or 50 or 100 people might come to the altar. We thank God for that. That's a powerful experience and we will not put that in a back corner because that's a part of who we are. But the reality is there's a lot that cannot take place. Even though there are a lot of great things that can take place, the reality is there's a lot of things that cannot take place in this large congregational setting. Let me give you an example of one in particular. Now, now, Jace earlier uh, mentioned um, spiritual gifts. When he was relating spiritual gifts, he shared with us privately in planning this that he was referring to the spiritual gifts that are listed in Romans 12. And in Romans 12, primarily are gifts of service. Now, Pentecostals many times are familiar with the gifts of the Spirit that are mentioned in 1 Corinthians 14. And as a Pentecostal pastor, you know, I'm zealous of spiritual gifts. Right? Come on, church family. The Bible says to desire earnestly spiritual gifts. Every one of us should should long to be used in the gifts of the Spirit. Because I'm telling you, we can do church a lot better through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so... 
1 Corinthians 14 and 26 says this. He said, how is it then, brethren, when you come together? Each one of you has a psalm, has a teaching, has a tongue, has a revelation, has an interpretation. Let all things be done unto edification. So Paul here is writing to the church at Corinth, but obviously the church at Corinth is small enough in its infant stage that everybody can participate in the flow of worship. But a church of 200 plus cannot. Everybody can't have a song. Are you with me? Everybody can't have a prophecy. Everybody can't give a message in tongues and provide an interpretation. But I'm telling you, you get in a small group. Come on, and it's, I want you to know, you go get on the, on, the, on the motorcycles with Roger and Gail. I'm telling you, to start that meeting off, they're going to lock hands and pray. Aren't you, Gail, Roger, aren't you? I would, if I was getting on the back of Gail's, <laughs> I would be Shatakai Mosia the whole time. <laughs> So they're going to get together and pray. And you may have your bandana, and you may have your leather jacket, and you may be all looking good and, you know, ready to go ride, born to be wild. But all of a sudden, you gather up, and you get connected to another Pentecostal believer, and you had an issue in your heart that had been troubling you. And while you're there in prayer, the Spirit of God lays it upon somebody in that group, and they begin to prophesy, come on, somebody, and release a prophetic word in your life and God does something miraculous in your heart before you ever get on the motorcycle and drive down the road. Come on, that's what we're after, church family. This past uh, Sunday night, if you didn't make it here with Pastor Fred from Uganda who was with us, and Pastor Fred did a tremendous job of ministering the Word and just very briefly encouraged us all, didn't he? I mean, one-on-one time with God. It was powerful hearing a Ugandan pastor with his accent challenge us. But let me tell you, the most powerful prophetic prayer that happened that night was after you guys were all gone and we were in the room together, me and uh, Sherry and Aaron, who was with them, Aaron Jarrett and Pastor Fred and Alyssa. And we shared some things and it came time to, uh, to leave. And I said, let's pray. And I asked Alyssa to pray. And I'm telling you, the heaven's anointing fell in the office right then. And Alyssa began to prophesy. And she's speaking prophetically over, come on somebody, over the pastor from Uganda that's come to the United States to raise resources for the children that are uh, outcast or, or suffering in Africa. And here's a young lady raised up right in your church that's now serving in Los Angeles prophesying over the Ugandan pastor in my office because we're in a small group. Come on, somebody. Thank God for the power of the Holy Spirit. And, and, though, and we can long for it as much as we desire in this setting, and you'll see spots. And there'll be some, but there'll be more in a small group setting. Is that right? I'm telling the truth today. Placing large bodies of people into smaller groups has been used in military settings and political settings for a long time. Even in our own United States, when you think about the United States and then the states and then the, uh, the, the local cities and the councils and the city councils and, 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 and government. But, but I wanted to give you a biblical example. Deuteronomy 1 and 15, I think we're going to put on the screen just real quickly. Read it with me here. It says, this is Moses rehearsing what took place during the days of the Exodus. Now, they had, the Bible tells us, approximately 2 million men and women and children. 600,000 men plus wives and children came out of Egypt. And so Moses found the need in order to adequately lead that group of people. Look what he had to do. He had to break it down. 
And so he took wise and knowledgeable men and he made them what heads over you. He said they were leaders of thousands, leaders of hundreds, leaders of 50, and leaders of tens to include officers for your tribes. Let me go give you and give you another example of this. How many of you remember Jesus following his resurrection? The Bible says that he was visibly seen by over 500. That would be this congregation here today doubled. That all that they literally saw him with their own eyes after his resurrection. When you think about Jesus, then you think of the masses that followed him at times, correct? Such as when he broke the bread of the and multiplied bread and fishes, which was our lesson a couple of weeks ago in the men's 1124 class. And so there were, they told us then that night there could be potentially 15,000, but he also broke them down in small groups. So just for a moment of time, so you had the masses of humanity that followed Jesus. Then following his resurrection, you had 500 at one time. Paul plainly said at one time they all saw him with their own eye. But then there was also 120, right? Then there was also 70. Then there was also 12. And lastly, there were three that he met with on a private basis. Why am I saying all that? Because Christ himself saw the need to take people out of just the massive congregational setting and put them into more intimate settings. Think about this. The miracle of the breaking of the bread and the breaking of the fishes that took place first probably in the hands of Jesus when he lifted his hands up with the loaf and the fish to give God thanks it went from there into the hands of the disciples. And from the disciples, it went to the hands of the individual 15,000 that were gathered there that day, both men, women, and children, who were seated together in what we would then call a small group of 50. So a multiplication took place, and there's a miracle that took place, even in that particular setting of a small group. And so you and I, the reality is we have to be intentional about moving from the assembly to the assembled. Come on, can I say that again? We have to be very intentional about it. I know hill country folk. I'm just going to talk about you. You know I say it this way with a little slang because I is one. And I know about how you think. And I've said this since I've been a pastor for now 23 years, pastoring in Shirley and now Heber Springs. Hill country folk can live with you or they can live without you. Right? And we have to be intent. Our natural tendency is to gravitate away from the small group rather than be pulled into the small group. You have to determine in your heart that you see the need. At the very heart of our motive here today, I have two things I'm dropping down in your spirit. I've got 10 minutes left. At the very heart of our motive is discipleship. That's why we've titled it D groups, disciple groups. We want to use whatever resource that we can have to grow this and to grow you as an individual from a convert of Christianity into an actual bona fide disciple of Christ. Does that make sense to you today? Somebody that desires to know the Word of God, to be taught the Word of God. We're going to use whatever resources, what a, a plurality of resources that were addressed here earlier today of things that are just right where you're at today, something that you can look at that meets your particular spiritual need. Acts chapter number 14, verses 21 through 23, the apostle Paul on his missionary journey, it, Scripture says this. It says when they, after he's completing the very first missionary journey, Paul then makes a round trip back in the direction that he had originally started from. 
So when Paul goes out to preach the gospel, he not only makes converts. And so when he's making an itineration from one city to the next city to the next city, when he reaches the last city on the leg, it seems as if the Spirit of God turned him around and said, now go back to those very same cities. For what purpose? Look at this right here. He said, they made many disciples. They returned again to Lystra, to Iconium, and to Antioch. Turn it over, 22nd verse. And it says, for what purpose? To strengthen the soul of the disciple and to exhort them to continue in the faith. That's our goal. Our desire is to strengthen you in the faith. Our desire is to present you, Paul said this, as a chaste virgin unto the Lord. The reality is, the apostle Peter said, your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Let me tell you, there have been many in the church that have come to the large setting, made a profession of faith in Christ, never got connected, never went to small group, never went to life groups, never went to discipleship groups, never did anything like that, and it wasn't long before they drifted away. I'm going to tell you today, let me just go out there on the limb. I'm going to tell you today that there are more out there unchurched today that have been through church, made a profession of faith in Christ, and are now unchurched. Then are, there are more of those out there in their homes or out in recreational areas today than are in houses of worship all in this county collectively added together. Something happened. They didn't get the strength. They didn't see the need and the enemy. Come on. Remember what Jesus told Peter? He said, Peter, I prayed for you because Satan has desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. Here, Paul says, he said, we're going to challenge you because it ain't always going to be easy. I love that. I'm going to tell you, we're not going to be a church that's going to tell you everything's going to be easy. You connect, and you're always going to have smooth sailing. We're going to tell you just like Paul did. You're going to have to continue in the faith because you may go through many trials entering into the kingdom of God. But I'm telling you, it's well worth, come on, it's well worth the resistance. Glory to God. Let's go a little bit farther. Colossians 2, 5, and 7. I just have a couple things left. Let's read this. This is from my heart. For though I'm absent in the flesh, Paul said, yet with, I'm with you in spirit. I rejoice to see your good order and the steadfastness of your faith. Verse number 6. He said, as you therefore have received Christ, here's my desire. This is Paul. This is my pastoral desire for you. Walk in him as you have received Christ. But the seventh verse catches my attention. Rooted and built up in him and established in the faith. I believe that if you connect to a small group, it will help you be established in the faith. And only when you're established in the faith can you endure the trial of affliction that could come your way. Right? I'm not trying to be morbid in here. I'm not trying, not trying to threaten you or to create an environment of fear to, for you to go. I'm just trying to be real. The enemy, come on, has a whole uh, bag of tricks, so to speak. He has devices, the Bible said, or schemes to cause you to stumble. And that's why you need the strength that's provided by a group of fellowship. Is that making sense in here? So we have this desire. And, and so I'm going uh, to skip a couple of those other things there to, for the sake of time, and I'm going to lastly go to this. So we have a desire for you to be rooted and grounded. We have a desire for you to be established and strengthened in the faith. We believe that that can be accomplished uh, through a life, or excuse me, through a discipleship group. I'm having to change my vocabulary along that way. Through a discipleship group for you to be encouraged and strengthened. And, and, and as you're encouraged, I'm telling you, I've been going, 
I've been trying to go. I'm going to give you a little testimony, and i got my one last point to close with. I've been trying to go to the men's study as often as I can. I can't go every week, but uh, the, the men's study. And, man, I just love it. was started primarily to help the guys that were coming, that were graduating from the other side so that when they get out into this mean, cold, dark world, right, they still got a small group setting. Maybe some of them are familiar with each other. And, and, and Jace and Shane are teaching them, and I just get to pull up a chair beside the guys. And, man, I love seeing this camaraderie. You know, in the military, I was taught camaraderie. In the military, I was taught esprit de corps. I was taught about the value of a buddy. Come on, somebody. Austin in the Army, they called it a battle buddy. In the Air Force, we called it a wingman. Come on, but we had somebody that we were connected to. And it, to see that group of guys have their hearts, as JoJo said, knit together, or Shane said, knit together in love, that's a powerful thing to take place. It's not going to happen just you walking through the church of 200 people on a Sunday morning just passing them through in the foyer. Am I being honest with you today? Second great need in your life, I'm closing with this one, is every one of us have a need for friends. We have to need, we have... Pastors have a need for friends. You have a need for friends. Jesus said this. He said this to his disciples. He said, I've called you my servants, and my servants you are because I'm your master. We could also say that they were his disciples because he was their teacher. But he said, but henceforth I call you my friends. We all have that need in our life. Proverbs 18 and 24, though, though we have the need, here's the thing I'm going to challenge you with. Every one of us, I don't care how long you've been in the kingdom or not, you have a need for friendship. Friendship. But in order for you to get friends, you've got to show yourself friendly. That's what it says. Now, I challenge people all the time when people say, well, you know, people just weren't friendly to me at that church. And I, hate, I would hate to hear that from our church, but it's possible. It is possible. Sometimes in a mass setting like this that somebody can be overlooked. Is that right? Right? But now, let me say this to you. I always challenge people, if you want friends, you got to first show yourself friendly. Right? You can't hide in a corner somewhere and say, nobody talked to me. Well, did you talk to anybody? Right? You're real spiritual. You're about to leave and go find another church where they're more spiritual. Well, the only church you're going to find that's going to meet your spiritual needs is you sitting at home sucking your thumb. I'm just being honest with you. But if you want true friends, then you need to show yourself friendly. And perhaps there's no greater way to show yourself friendly than connect to a small group. Proverbs 17 and 17 says this, a friend loveth at all times. Now, in a group of 12, you may know people more intimately, and they might be, we all know there are different levels of friendship. A group of 12 or 15, you might know them and they're your friends, but out of that, if out of that group you gain one true friend, right, you will have that friend for a lifetime. Right? If, if, if you gain one true friend, and that friend will love at all times. It says a friend loveth at all times, but a brother is born for adversity. Often our friendship within the body becomes as deep or deeper even than your siblings. Is that right? I know some of you struggle to hear that, but I'll tell it to you anyhow. Proverbs 27 and 17, Aaron, join me. It says, iron sharpeneth iron as a man sharpeneth the countenance of his friend. And here's the reality as I close here today. Thank you for being here, and I appreciate so much. And I especially say thank you to all those that are willing to lead a discipleship group in a Sunday school class. Thank God for their, their gifts. I think we should give them a round of applause.
As I'm closing today, I want you to listen very, very carefully. And there is no, this is it, this is the, the, the end, and I'm going to let you go to be out there to go through and look intentionally at those uh, discipleship groups and those classes. We're going to leave the tables up for one more week. We're not going to bring everybody up next week. We're just going to only highlight it, encourage you to go back, for, go back out there again. Here's the reality as I close. You can walk into this sanctuary week after week and only know a few people by name. You can, and, and even then, you only know them on the surface level. Is that right? Can I, I mean, be, be real with me and close. I'm being honest. I'm about to let you out of here. Listen, but, but that's just the reality. You can walk into church week after week and only, well, the, here's the way I wrote it, I, just to be honest. In essence, you can be in this group and still be all alone. You can. You can. But if you come regularly, not just one time, well, I tried that. You don't try this. You connect to it. Me and Sherry didn't try marriage. We made a covenant with each other, and we spent 31 years working it out. That's what you got to do in the kingdom. And so if you attend and participate regularly in a small group, after a period of time, you're going to know people personally. You're going to connect to them on a deeper level. You're going to connect some even farther than that. And you're going to become a friend to some, and you're going to have made friends to others. And everybody in that small group, they're going to always be glad you came. And they're always going to know your name. Come on. Your life is going to be richer. Your life is going to be deeper. It's going to be more fulfilling. You're going to be counted, and you're going to be counted on. And unfortunately, that's what causes a lot of people to not attend because they don't want to be counted on. But I'm going to be honest with you today. My nature, by nature, I could be just like the hill country folk that I was talking about. I could live out on my 50. I could, uh, I could even go farther in the woods than that. But there's a gift inside of me. There's a gift inside of me that burns even when I'm out there. And like Paul said, woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. I don't want to stand before God one day and he say, Lee, what did you do with the gift of pastoring? What did you get, do with the gift of teaching? What did you do with the gift of hospitality that I put in your life? You took it to the back 40 somewhere and you buried it. And I don't want to be that. I don't want to give a cow. I want to say, God, I pushed past my natural tendencies. I pushed past my, 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 my feelings of being inferior, my feelings of frustration, whatever things might hinder any of us. And I said, you know what, God, that gift was inside me, and I exercised it for the glory of God. That's what you and I, that's what we want to stand before God and give account of our, of our giftings. You'll make this church stronger. Sister Debbie Whitby in class today, said, she said, it's a healthy church represented by multiple generations that we're grateful that are connected in here today. Life and church life will be much more fulfilling and satisfying to you if you connect. God places the solitary in families, and this church will become your church family. Did y'all hear that? I want to say that again. You know what? That, 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 let me just close on this one. You say, man, let me tell you about my pastor. I know some of you are are new here today and you're sitting by somebody that invited you and that person now can say, well, let me tell you about our pastor. 
He says, I'm closing 17 times. And he eventually, they drop a rope from, and they start pulling him back into the baptismal tank. I, I, have per, I have pure intention to close on the first one. But I, I, in closing with family, let me just say this. It's not always perfect. It's not always without mess. It's not always without offense. Sometimes we accidentally offend each other. I've accidentally offended people more than one time. And as much as in me lies possible, I do my very best to repair that. Right? I have, come on, you can't be connected to this many people and not occasionally. Uh, Sherry and I occasionally have a little sharp word with each other. Oh, y'all, you're real holy marriages out there. I can see. Yeah, I can see that. But that's all right. Even my sanctified six children have been known to throw down every now and then and take a little edge or take a little offense along the way. But you know what? When you're a family, you find a way to press through that. Come on. When you're a family, you, start, you, 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 you ask for forgiveness and you give forgiveness, right? And that's what gets created when you go from the perimeter into the inner core of the fold. I wrote it this way, and I said it's possible to even get hurt within the safety of the sheepfold, but the reward is worth the risk. You have to take the next step. Nobody can do this thing for you. You have to decide, you know what, I want more out of church. If you want more out of church, then give a little bit more. Give a little bit more. Sow a little deeper, and you'll reap, come on, a little greater. So we've created the opportunity. The next step is up to you. Our heads bowed and our eyes closed today for a moment before I dismiss you to walk through the corridor of the, of the, of the foyer, excuse me, the foyer, and look at those tables. You know, JoJo said it a moment ago today when we were during worship when he said, you know, there could be a miracle of a salvation here today. There might be somebody here today that they didn't know it, but God led them here by His Spirit where they could be exposed to genuine love. The love of Christ exhibited in the love of people. And they may not even know Jesus as their Savior. So first of all, if you're here today and you're being honest with yourself and you're being honest with me and you say, Pastor Brown, Pastor Brown, I don't know Jesus. Today, today I'd like to make Jesus the Lord of my life. If that's you, would you slip your hand up?